0: a timely response to chaos Wednesdays with Wolf is a contemplative podcast for wisdom featuring thought-provoking conversations between Reverend Gola Wolf Richards and Marie Sola
1: hello there everybody and welcome to another episode of Wednesdays with Wolf And I am here with Mr. Wolf himself. (laughs) Hello to you, Wolf. How are you?
0: I am just fine. How are you doing?
1: I, uh, you know, can't kick. It's all good. It's all good. Like I say, wake up on the right side of the dirt. Doesn't get much better than that.
0: (laughs) Definitely, that's a good start, for sure. Yeah,
1: I have low expectations. (laughs) I (laughs) just... I'm breathing. I'm all good. (laughs) Well, lots going on in the world, huh? Wolf, lots, lots lots of things. Lots of things. Lots of things. Lots of confusion. Lots of change in the air. Maybe is another way to put it. Which, which I am um, choosing to look at the hopeful side Mm -hmm. of that. That change is inevitable. Correct. I mean, right? Change is inevitable and. And hopefully, um, for the most part, it will be good.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah.
1: And I, so, something I I feel like I I need to talk to you about this, and okay. and hopefully, it's something that the listeners will benefit from. Um, and it's just been really weighing on me. I've, you know, I've been watching uh, some of the footage during, um, you know, the impeachment of. The uh, capital riots,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I hadn't really spent a lot of time with it prior to yes. this, and not that I've spent a lot, but enough that it, it, it the thing um, that I'd like to ask you about, the thing that I found so disturbing is how frenzied a group of people can get. Um, when they're together. Um, yes. a, a mob, if you will, or a mob mentality, regardless of whether it's during what we saw at the Capitol or, you know, what you see in other countries. I mean, this is not the first mob that's happened, right, in the, the history of the world. But
0: Certainly.
1: what is it, Wolf, about that? I mean, we've talked about collective energy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, a, as a whole over mm-hmm. the past few podcasts. This is... Seems to me another form of collective energy. What is it that that in us that that gets us to work up to such a frenzy when we're in a a, a mob situation?
0: Okay, uh, you were quite correct. I agree with you in saying that this is certainly not the first time uh, that we've seen this sort of thing happen. Right in terms of uh, human behavior, right. Um, mob action, right? working collectively and amplifying what individuals can experience. Individuals can be in a frenzy and then it's amplified when we're in the company of others. There's uh, a permission that we have uh, given to us when we're in a group. If I have a uh, group attitude that, and I feel comfortable, then I can lose my individuality and then be carried f- forward by means of the group Consciousness. Um, we often speak of that in terms of people being able to stand out, stand alone, right? No matter what the crowd may do, right? It's important for you to have integrity, right? Because you will think on your own for yourself. That's a um, one could say an advance in human development over the fact that we're not for how we operate collectively. We wouldn't have a human race. We would have been gone long ago because. Collective action is what has kept us alive. So if we think then sympathetically about how collective um, actions, collective behaviors can enjoin us, right, in that passion, there's a basis for this in the history of human development, right, that has been absolutely necessary to live. So we have, one could say, an instinctual tendency to be available to some level of collective behavior, because in the history of human development, we would not have survived. So there's a survival aspect to that collectivity. And were it not for the fact that we um, are inclined to be swayed, influenced by that collectivity, we as individuals would have found ourselves not only uh, as outcast, if you would, but not surviving at all. Uh, So I think psychologically then, it'd be important to understand that being uh, uh, a part of a society means that individuals will always have to negotiate the relationship to uh, a larger milieu, right? Uh, What's going on among others? Is it right for me to follow or not? There's a tendency also, right, in us, uh, our development as a species, as individuals, to have emotions dominate our earliest Impressions are those impressions that come to us as children. And the ex- experience of having emotionality that has to learn to interface with logicality in order for us to become mature, that's a process. So for the child, it is natural for them to have emotions to dominate over their potentials to be logical, rational. And that's why we need to help them cross the street and do so many other things um, to keep them safe. But that imprint of having our emotions to dominate over our logicality becomes a kind of a natural problem for us to have, uh, even as adults, because the adult is always legitimately an adult, only because we're managing our otherwise strong tendencies to be childish, if you would. And in that childless um, uh, frame of mind, right, we are attracted to emotionally uh, influenced experiences more so than we are to logically discerned uh, orientations to deal with life. So I think those elements would contribute to why we, one, can be influenced by group thinking because it's primitive in terms of survival, the survival, excuse me, of the species, and because it's also natural in our development as individuals, as humans. We're born that way, right? To have that inclination. To bring a proper relationship between what we can individually discern, how we have to then carefully decide how to move our collective energy, right? Our portion of it, right? um, The history of human development, so that we can fit within the context, right, of everything else that exists in nature. That's an achievement of growing up. It's not a given. It's... um, Why we have the term homo sapiens, that our humanity requires sapiens, that's that's learning wisdom. It seems, Wolf, Mm -hmm.
1: from what you were just saying and from previous conversations that there are a couple of things that are going on there when you get um, into a crowd or a mob where you have very high emotion going on. Yes and and it brings to mind for me, I'm gonna say a football game, going to a football game, you, you know, right. versus watching it on TV. so you're you're in this this group of people um and you're all like-minded about something a team, for instance, like you want this you want the Patriots to win because go yeah. patriots and and I'm sorry, but I'm saying patriots and mm-hmm. and with everybody around you, the adrenaline gets flowing and the energy goes and you get lost in that emotionality versus the logic. Yes. Therefore, that crowd or that group almost takes on its own identity and its own being, right? And Oh, yes, definitely. And within that, even though it's natural in nature to have logic – and then the opposite of emotion, this is also where you're seeing a huge imbalance. You're seeing high, high emotion and low, low logic. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like the best of things and the worst of things all rolled up into one big frenzied mass of humanity.
0: Yes. Well, you, um, you identify very well, and thank you very much for how you constructed that question. Um, You identified, uh, made use of a term that I think is very important here, identity, right? Identified, identity. And as a part of our uh, being um, a member of a group, participating in a group, there's a need for us to identify, right? And uh, it will happen. You don't have to choose about it, right? It's going to happen. A child is born in a certain context, a certain family, Um, certain language. And there's a natural tendency to identify, to have that in common, to see what it is that we share in common. And, and then my identity becomes functional in terms of survival. If we think back into very primitive early circumstances, by means of me playing my role, having a shared identity in terms of uh, who I am and what I'm to do, I survive thereby. So taking... Uh, a sides, if you would, right? Um, Being one person uh, against the world. There's an ancient primitive tendency to know that except I share an identity with someone, right, with others, I won't make it. There's no way for me to inveigh against all of the circumstances I'm going to experience in life, except I have the benefits of the group. That ancient tendency, our ancient memories, if you would, ancient imprints, are always operative. So as individuals, we have to know when does this fit? When is it timely to think in this way and when not? Because the simple logic, I'm gonna use this word in a, hopefully in a way that doesn't confuse people. If I'm working from a very primitive state of thinking, very ancient way of thinking, very infantile way of thinking, then my logic, what occurs to me to be logical is to not move outside the bounds of that particular group with whom I'm identified, where my identity has been established. So therefore, I am always going to be this type of person, right? And I'll never leave that because if I'm not able to think in a way that um, would um, display mature abilities to know when that would be wise to do and when not to do, then the primitive thinking, that primitive structure, that primitive psychology is going to dominate. Survival, right, uh, one part of it has always meant some kind of clash. So it would not be wrong. We have to say it with sympathy. That if we can imagine peace, we must also remember, right, that in our ancient background, survival did not mean peace. It meant winning a war, right? It meant struggling, right? And so that the elevated personality that we all believe in, right, and worship in our religions, it is definitely a reality, right? But it's an attainment. And it's attainment against a background where us in conflict with others would have been the natural circumstance. And quote unquote logical behavior, right, would have been to be consistent with your identity in opposition to someone else. So at this point in history, important for us is to understand how historically our minds have developed how our minds reflect um, the natural uh, conflict and complementarity that operates the entire universe. So simplistically, in terms of um, discussing emotions, eros, logic, um, um, logos, we would know that like the universe dealing with left, right, up, down, negative, positive, cosmos, chaos, This is our inheritance in our psychology. We have the potential to do just as nature does, which is to bring these seemingly antithetical positions, right, into some kind of harmony. That's maturity. If I can do that, if one can pull that off, that's maturity. And only by means of maturity will we finally end our wars, right, within ourselves, right, and uh, amid our other um, denizens of the planet. We have to become deliberately mature, which means thinking about thinking. If I do not have a sympathy with that history, I'm apt never to be able to be functional for peace. I have to understand, right how um, many of the things that we would call shortcomings now in human behavior actually would have been survival mechanisms at some point in history.:
1: As human beings, then, we come by this honestly.
0: so to speak. Definitely so.
1: As you were talking about that, I had like this light bulb moment. I was thinking about how we, if we look at technology and industry and all of the things that we have done outside of ourselves, not us as humans, but all of the things we've invented, all of the things that we have now that make our lives easier than they used to be they're so different we, you know we have planes we have technology we have cars i mean all of these things that that have evolved from the creativity of humans to make yes. to change life to change uh, the trajectory of life yet we haven't really done that with ourselves as a mm-hmm. human collective and mm-hmm. if we're if we're looking as you're saying this is all historically how we've had to behave to survive yes. and we continuously see movies or hear you know um read about it and it and and yet we haven't moved past that part of our human condition the way we've technologically advanced so enough. It, it, does that make sense
0: Oh, it, I mean, does, it makes indeed. total sense
1: to me, but then again, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, no, Marie. It
0: makes absolute yeah. sense. It's an interesting process because it's uneven. You will have, um, in aggregate, um, some people will actually, actually, excuse me, uh, demonstrate that advanced consciousness. And they will not only be identified with one particular group, which is natural to happen, you're going to be identified in some way but they will have transcended it so that they actually can retain an identity uh, with all kinds of groups based upon they have uh, having been able to uh, do something universal. They see that their primary identity is as a human being. And now their identity as a um, whatever kind of um, subchapter, right, uh, of, of being a human being, right, is not to be primary. It is natural to have to struggle with that but if I'm going to deal with the all of the multiplicity in the world, what nature's doing, right, if that's going to be my ideal, to see Mother Nature does a very good job of handling all kinds of diversity, if you would. And how is it? It's because all of it is Mother Nature. All of it is understood to be one and whole. So consequently, if I can identify with being human and then identify with you, and appreciate our historical struggles, right? Of being blocked or locked into certain identities, right? It makes me then, all right, more potential, right? To be an ideal for how we're gonna get to peace. On the other hand, given the fact that we are creatures that learn or or do not learn, right? Our evolution, right, is very much an issue of us being self-evolvers, Bugs, leaves, trees, um, all kinds of other things are evolved by means of biological imperatives. It's just nature taking over the entire show. But for us, the issue is us. we have this, um, our, our abilities to think. And so therefore, we'd have to see nature says, no, I want you to exercise this thinking such that you will evolve um, coming into concord with other things, harmony with other things only by means of your thinking. And if your thinking remains at a stage that doesn't do what nature is doing, which is harmonizing all this diversity, all this seeming uh, uh, opposition, right? Um, What the universe is doing all the time. Then you will find yourself being more a part of the chaotic tendency of the universe than you are of the cosmic tendency of the universe, right? So that you're... um, Less well-developed tendencies can dominate where your ideal higher tendencies may simply be something that you find in your worship services, where you, uh, worship a, a personage that is able to do the most mature, but are habituated to doing less than mature. And that kind of interruption of that comfort is, is many times what's potential when we see conflicts, um, afoot, that uh, it's always a message to us. It's time to mature our abilities to think so as to be in harmony with seeming opposition. Immature behaviors have a certain place. Naturally, we don't get upset with what are shouldn't uh, upset with what we can expect babies to do. That would be inappropriate for an adult to do, right? Because it's a baby Um, to notice among Um, in the history of human development, though, that there are, and this is said respectfully, there are stages of infantile behavior that are being conducted regularly by grown folks. And so to note that that's one of the susceptibilities that we have, that we can develop a habit of not exceeding infantile stages of thinking, adolescent stages of thinking, And because of that, we need to educate ourselves to anticipate that this is a natural problem in growing ourselves up. This is why we do not have peace. This is why we get um, encouraged to be more locked into limited identities than the expansive identities that we need to have global conflict resolution.
1: Wolf, it would, in that case, it's really, you know, if we're in order to evolve, it's really something we each individually need to do personally in order to then bring it to uh, more of a group setting. Y-
0: yes, and and let's break that down a bit. That when we are acting personally, uh, we have to remember nature is also in the picture forever. So that nature, right, in this overall encompassing uh, milieu, this environment, this matrix, connects the personal to the collective all the time. Ah. So you can have a leading edge that uh, if we say in the person of us as individuals, we are all acting as nature's instruments for influencing the collective. If the individual, only by means of the individual can I, have the type of thinking that can integrate me with um, groups that uh, would seem to be in opposition to my um, group, my earliest primitive identity, basic identity. It's only as an individual that I can do that. The collective, the group doesn't do that very well. But if the group is going to do it at all, that means I have to understand individuals within the group are changing such that they can handle The issues that naturally come from having a collective identity with a limited group, limited group, very important, and need to grow to have a collective identity with all groups, with the entire planet, with the universe itself, right? So it's uh, enlightenment, if you were speaking in uh, in terms of um, history of religions. So that is a difficult process. But without it, we have become accustomed to slaughter so that we have killing. Uh, going back to your talking about the Mm emotion-high experiences, right, in terms of frenzy, right? We have become so accustomed as a part of history that we more or less have normalized and accepted the fact that killing folks, right, is just as natural as um, um, potato chips. Um, So we have, think of it, the numbers are going to be staggering in terms of the hundreds of millions and billions of people that have been slaughtered, right, in the mayhem, right, that we do as human beings. And so, when we have an isolated incident, instance, instance where we look, let's say, as we're looking at the um, situation you were referencing earlier, in terms of what's going on nowadays, right, it's wonderful that we can have a focus that looks at a particular situation, but it's also an improvement on that to. Think of it in terms of generalized. So if I'm looking at what happens in the may, happened in the mayhem in Washington recently mm-hmm. and think, what is it there? Because it's human beings, right? Um, what is it there that I can learn about what is universally true? What is it there that I can learn about aspects of my personal experience? At what stage of my development was I more apt to be emotionally driven, right? And did I ever cross a line, positively speaking, developmentally, when I could learn to to manage that impetus, right, to be lost in passion. And not only in a frenzy where we have violence, do I know that in a state of being emotionally dominant, right, have, does that happen in any other context, right? Nonviolent, if you would, right? Context, as it would seem, right? Where wrong is done. On the other hand, too, is there some way in which it's done in a right way? So the answer is going to be yes, right? It's done right and wrong. It's a matter of timeliness. If I have everyone singing together, um, to use an analogy, kumbaya and the passion is there, right, to let's do it right. That group consciousness, that collectivity, right, is responsible for doing much good. So now I've used the passion guided by a the uh, natural tendency in the universe, right, the creative tendency to use my passion in service of good. So now that's my kumbaya experience. Now the other, right? If I've got a chant, Uh, identifies one group to be targeted for harm, right? As opposed to another. Now the passion's being used for something negative. So to be watchful over ourselves and how this emotional experience can completely subsume, right? Our abilities to um, be logical or rather um, completely um, wipe them out, right? I want to be watchful. The other is when my passion can be in service to something beautiful, I want to engage it.
1: Therefore, when we see things happening that can be disturbing, as a contemplative individual, we should be observing observing that, uh, stepping back and observing it and seeing what that tells us about ourselves. Absolutely. When have we acted in that manner?
0: There but for fortune go I.
1: Exactly. And then how can that same exact circumstance also be turned? How could a, a similar circumstance with some different um, different pieces of the recipe end up being a good thing? So, Definitely. So this is really an opportunity for us to get out of uh, Step Back. Get out of our heads in terms of, um, or should I say, get out of our egos, step back, look at the situation, and and then look back at ourselves. How does it mirror us as an individual? Because for that, for us to really change the group, it's going to take individuals to change and for that to snowball, if you will.
0: Mm Mm-hmm or to to
1: model behavior that others might potentially pick up on.
0: Absolutely. That's why um, as a humanizing um, experience, compassion, right, is such an important notion. Mm -hmm. Compassion. I can look at, you know, you could look at the mayhem that's created by a mob and say, I would never do that. And it may be legitimately true, right, that you would never do that. However, It's important to say, well, maybe not never, because if I can identify with the other person and say I could be locked there, but for fortune, I could be locked in a point of view whereby I would find myself doing harm. Mm -hmm. Right. And lucky that I'm not in that point of view, but I also want to have a sympathy with somebody who is in that status because there, but for fortune, go I. It's, uh, it's easy to become um, inadvertently arrogant yeah. and to lift ourselves um, out of the um, fray of what human development's all about. We have cycles, right? And by means of cycles, we are survival. If you didn't have cycles of blood circulating in your body, right, we wouldn't survive. If there wasn't the cycle involved in respiration, we wouldn't survive. There's not the cycles, right, of day and night, right, Uh, the seasons we wouldn't survive. So that cyclicity is a part of nature. It has an ancient background. Cyclicity can also then affect us personally. We can have traditions, cycles, customs, cycles, right, habits, cycles. And we know that some of those habits can be very damaging that we could have. Certain foods that we love to eat, right, aren't good for us. Uh, Certain substances, right, that we love to hang out with, right, actually aren't good for us, right? So we would know, have sympathy with the fact that in the human condition, someone can be stuck at a particular stage of a cycle. So even if I'm going to have to reject that behavior, do it with sympathy. Even if I'm going to have to judge that behavior, do it with sympathy. If I had to contain that behavior, do it with sympathy always trying to keep compassion involved in it so as to be evolved, even when I'm having to deal with the material of what it means to be average.
1: You're so right, to about that danger of becoming arrogant without the sympathy or to say, I would never do that. And it's funny, a, a really simple analogy of that. One of the first things that I learned is I remember... Being um, younger and thinking that uh, I would see somebody with with kids and the kid would be having a temper tantrum in the store, and I'd say, "Well, my kid's never going to do that," <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, well, guess what, right? <laughs> and and as I've gotten older, I will never say never because mm-hmm. we are all capable of any range of, of poor behavior and, and timely behavior. Mm-hmm. And that I find that one of the dangers of pulling yourself back and not having that sympathy on top of arrogance is to become very judgmental, which,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which that behavior of, of overly judgmental, overly arrogant adds to the fray. Mm-hmm. It doesn't Definitely
0: help. Definitely so. Yeah. <laughs> right. And in, in terms of how we use our terms, right, to be judgmental is one thing, to, be, um, to have good discretion, right, is another. Mm-hmm. So we can have it understood that if I am being um, uh, decisive, uh, discerning, that doesn't imply that I don't have compassion when I'm doing, making the behavior. But to be judgmental implies lacking a needed degree of compassion.
1: Exactly. And and there and that that doesn't help with conflict resolution now, does it?
0: That's true. Right. Absolutely so. So we're in a situation now, the the more expansive we can be in terms of our identity. We take in all of what humanity is about, all the potentials, and you have a sympathy philosophically by saying that, again, back to that idea there, but for fortune go I. What can happen with the uh, the human being or with our psychology? Obviously we look and we can say all kinds of stuff can happen. Does that mean, right, that in terms of all these things that are happening, right, that everyone is choosing right, to do those things that we would otherwise consider to be negative. Considering that all things can happen, we'd have to acknowledge, no, it's not always by choice. The person who can't run fast didn't necessarily choose to have their leg broken, right? Um, There are all kinds of illnesses that can beset us, right? And we know that then I can't behave as well as I would if I were healthy, right, at this time. And that those same things that can beset our bodies can also beset our minds so that I can have a broken, right, or an injured psychology. In that sense, then I have to sympathize and say, well, then if I'm not in a broken state, my business should be learning how to help myself and others to be less inclined to be broken. Then I'm authentically an improvement over uh, the tendency for uh, brokenness to happen. If I think Uh, in a arrogant um, uh, judgmental fashion, I will simply put up a category, right? That I'm this type of person, type A person and you're type B person. And so therefore uh, I'm better than you. And if I am in a better state, I would say that I can identify what would be a better state, right? Uh, For um, human behavior. I really can identify. Yet, I have to maintain that that's not just simply an abstraction. If I'm really going to be that better person, I have to have a sympathy with people who are not doing as well. I have to assume that the ability to choose is a complex process. Some people can be limited by very primitive identities. So choosing outside of that identity is really hard for them. If I've studied well, I can know, I see the ancient background to that and can know how that's hard to do. So even though it's not a preferred behavior, it doesn't mean that I wouldn't, uh, in terms of good discretion, identify it as a not preferred behavior, right? But at the same time, I have a sympathy as I'm indicating what I would think would be preferred to do. In terms of evolution, a part of the good then that I would learn is that nature's still in the picture. So, if I assume that my identity is as an indi- individual, abjectly as an individual, I am just an individual, then I'm risking repeating a habit that is done too often, and that is to not understand that the individual, as far as nature's concerned, is a function of the collective; the collective is a function of the individual. They're intertwined.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a it's a catch twenty two or an, or a circle. It's I mean, yeah, they, they you can't you you can't really have one without the other and they work together. Mm -hmm. And and I guess that's also not to say that um, somebody that is behaving in a, um, in untimely fashion at the moment, it doesn't mean that somewhere along the line that wouldn't change or they can't change that. I, I, I find it. um, And, and I guess maybe I'm, an eternal optimist, but Mm -hmm. I like to believe that everybody has, everybody has good in them. Even Mm -hmm. that you can find something good in the most vile of, or what somebody would say the most vile of humans, right? There, there's something good. It may not be compassion and love and, you know, shitting rainbows, but, (laughs) but there's, mm -hmm. there's, uh, you can always find something, a a good quality in everybody. And so to just sort of write groups of people off or anybody off as that's it, they're, they're, you know, there's never going to be anything other than that. I, I tend to hesitate, um, with that, that feeling.
0: That says something good about you and, and, uh... It's a way of conferring sympathy, all right? So if I were to change what you said, alter it just a bit, I'd say, Marie, you just told us that it's important to confer sympathy, right? With other people at all times. Because if we were to say, is there somebody that functionally speaking, right? Is so awful in terms of their behavior that, let's say particularly from a child's point of view, right? That there's no good to be discerned, right? And a parent who's just wildly abusive, right? So there's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it, it's not there. But can I have, um, and doing work, social work, as a neighbor, friend, down the road, whatever it might be, can I have a sympathy with that condition of that person, that parent who doesn't appear to be able to change their personality at all? I can have a sympathy. My Greater sympathy is going to go for that child, right, getting a chance, right, Mm -hmm. and to try and get that kid out of that environment so that they get a chance because the other person, the timing on, even if they could change, it may not be in time to have not done major damage, right, to that kid. The uh, Us having a um, universal basis, when we talk about the technical advances we've done, it's because, because we work with certain universal truths chemistry in america is the same chemistry that i'd have in europe right mm-hmm. in asia in asia mathematics right in america is going to be the same mathematics in south america right so that we have some consistent universals that we use and that uh, thereby we have technological advances we can make quick advances because we use universals right to get there when it comes to human nature though we've not paid much attention to the universals that happen um, in terms of human development so that we can understand ourselves better and um, transition from localized identities, right? That are overdone, right? To having a global identity. So that's gonna require us paying more attention to what is universal in human nature appropriately, right? And more specifically, what is universal in terms of success, right? As in human development, how can we imagine if we were going to a world in peace? What would be required to teach individuals so that we collectively could experience uh, global conflict resolution?
1: Yeah, and it, it seems like to do that, we're really going to have to work on the us against them, the identity, uh, the, the labeling. You, you brought up labeling earlier, mm-hmm. you know, labeling and, and groups. And, and un, you know, there can be unconscious bias as well. But I think that the more we label and the more we stereotype and the more that we place ourselves individually into groups as opposed to standing back as individual human beings. That doesn't mean that we don't want to be part of society, but the more that we identify in a group mentality versus an individual mentality, Mm -hmm. the harder it is to be, have a global perspective. I think when you can pull yourself out and look, um, and not over identify with any one particular group, it's easier to have more of a global perspective.
0: Yes. And let's say that in another way, right? The same thing, but said in another way that if I'm going to magnify my identity with any particular group, right? It would mean that I'd have to, at the same time, magnify my identity in the most ideal fashion with other groups. So can I magnify being um, an American, if you would, in a way that doesn't denigrate, right, uh, lessen, right, anyone else's sense of identity with another patch of land around the planet, right? C- can I do that? Uh, can I bring qualities in my human development such that by saying I'm very proud to be an American, it doesn't mean it sets up roadblocks, right, to the humanity that other people across a border mm-hmm. are also have, right? Answer is yes, but that requires education, Some of our discernment, some of our, uh, let me use another word, some of our fears, right? So many of our fears can have a reasonable background. We like to live. So is it right to be afraid that someone might want to extinguish us? Yep, right? Makes sense. So consequently, if I think that someone might be less identified with me, that's going to elevate my tendency to fear their potential to hurt me if they're not of my group, studying that, just thinking about that, huh, right? So that we stop, uh, stand back, right? And have an objective uh, consideration of our subjective tendencies. We will tend to be afraid of someone with whom we feel there is no identity, huh? That's a natural part of the human experience. This is something we have to learn to get over, okay? But at the same time, right, there are going to be aspects of that that we of necessity will want to keep. Because if someone is snarling, right, and I do not snarl, mm. then I it's okay for me to be a little bit afraid of that snarly person might bite. Right? So therefore, let me be a little careful there. So it's a cautious approach, but with sympathy, perhaps, that person is caught in a way such that they can't release themselves from snarling. So therefore, have sympathy, move back from that person, yet at the same time, right, have an identity with the fact that their humanity might be suffering something that there but for fortune, go I.
1: We need multiple identification techniques. We do. Really, I mean, I I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but because how often is it that what we fear is something that's different than we are something that we yes. don't understand right something that we don't know mm-hmm. that's what makes us uncomfortable and and I would almost I would almost something that you know I've talked about more over the past couple of years is really identifying is what you're feeling actually fear or are you calling mm-hmm. it fear is is what you're be, you may be uncomfortable about something that's different or somebody that's different, but is that true fear? Is that true? Like f- fight or flight fear in your reptilian mm-hmm. brain, or is it just mm-hmm. discomfort and you're identifying it as fear? Because that's another thing that takes some contemplation.
0: Yeah, definitely. So definitely. So uh, my tendency to negotiate, um, uh, If I don't go to fear, right, and say uh, some degree of apprehension, right, that's a good word. So I'm, I'm I'm meeting some people that are new to me, and there's a degree of apprehension that I have, right. So it's not fear, right, which would you know conjure up stronger feelings, but some degree of apprehension, some some understandable degree of anxiety in meeting new people. If I know, right, that I also have a tendency project. Naturally, as human beings, if I have some uh, sense of um, anxiety, right, uh, in meeting a, a new person, a new group of people, if I understand that it's also a tendency then to project negatives, right, on those people where I'm projecting it, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's actually there, right, among those people, right? My sense of who I've created them to be, right, can be completely different than who they actually are. So that this is a natural problem, right? Us learning about these are natural things to experience in human psychology. And except we objectify these tendencies and study them, right? Then we never become more skillful, right? At negotiating, handling our personalities and interfacing with differences. Yeah,
1: great points, Wolf, because it is true that... That when we're when we're uncomfortable, whether it's through fear or apprehension or whatever that is, we then have a tendency to make it about whatever it is that's making us feel that feeling as opposed to why we're feeling it ourselves internally. Mm-hmm. And and then you mm-hmm. put you you start to put the negativity on whatever or whomever it is that's making you feel that way.
0: Absolutely. You start to believe
1: right. it. Right. I've always felt that if people traveled a lot, they would they would get over that because as you meet – I remember from a young age just thinking as even just traveling throughout the United States before I traveled outside of the borders of the U.S., realizing that every place I went, there were nice people and there were people that weren't so cool. It didn't matter what religion they were, what – culture they were from what you know what ethnicity they were there were most people were really cool and then there were some you know scary characters in every mm-hmm. every single group there wasn't any one I just I think part of it is uh is misinformation or or let's call it lack of experience with mm-hmm. a, a, somebody that thinks differently looks differently acts differently different you know i think it's most people given an opportunity to meet somebody that they might otherwise fear or condemn if they actually sat down and spoke with them they'd realize that we all have a whole heck of a lot more in common than than we than we had than we don't have in common
0: mm-hmm. true enough and and some of those things that we have in common very importantly Our our faults, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, our our, our shortcomings, that it's hard for us to let go of apprehension. That's a shortcoming that's experienced all around the world, no matter what type of person. So if we identify you, and it can be quite erroneously, if we identify somebody as being a potential source of trouble, it's very hard to let go of that. This is how I see you. So I'm going to not... give that up, all right, so easily because I'm not even in control of it. It's instinctual, right, to a certain degree, right, that, well, it's going to take some time. If we studied that, that this is how human psychology works, right, then we could be much more um, self-observant, right, in our interactions with other people, more conscious thoroughly, right, so that I would know I'm now not going to be as susceptible, right, to being subjective when I deal with you and have a much more objective manner, right, of interfacing with you because I've contemplated my subjective tendencies, right? I know what it means to be a human being. So we don't study, right, the psychology of what it means to be human in a normal sense. I'm not talking about anything abnormal right now. Uh, But we don't study that. And that definitely does injure us in terms of the progress of civilization.
1: I like that. Do you... We know what it, so we know what it's like to be a human being because that really, that cuts through all of this. It, at the end of the day, we're one race. We're the human race. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have traveled all over the world. I have met people of every color, sexual identity, culture. I've, I've met so many people. And at the end of the day, we're all, we're all trying to get by. We're all concerned about the same things. You know, how do I, Mm -hmm. how do I take care of my family? How do I eke out, out my survival? You know, laughter, joy, all of that. There's, we have so much more in common that, yeah. So
0: now one, one of the things that we have in common, Marie, and this would be uh, something we can maybe take up in our next podcast, right? Is in common, we have an enormous tendency, availability to be confused.
1: <laughs> I like that. What do you mean, Wolf? No, <laughs> I'm confused. No, sorry, go
0: ahead. It's true. So that the all of the other things that are in the big tent of what it means to be human, right? We have so many just atrocious things going on. Um, we know them: sexism, racism, right, war. They are; these are not small factors, all right? They they are big, right, in human history. So, if we say that this is evidence of the fact that we have a high tendency to be confused, so if we were then to say the responsible behavior is to how do I educate myself and assist the education of others, so as to lessen the tendency to be confused. Then I can expect that out of that clarity, we might move to have, um, be uh, entitled to genuinely consider ourselves to be civilized. Um, Arnold Toynbee, the historian, British historian, um, used the term, uh, I'm going to update his, he said mankind in progress to to civilization. And um, would always see it that way, that this was something we're in doing in process. We aren't there yet in terms of civilization. So I do think that one day we will have right sustainability predicated on the fact that we've become more civilized. And that will only happen because we have to deliberately educate ourselves. We are animals that are subject to needing that in order to be adaptive correctly. So when we have proper focus on the chief problem in uh, the uh, human experience, right, is to lessen our tendencies to be ignorant and advance our tendencies to be wise.
1: That's beautiful. And that's such a great place to wrap this up because that was very profound, Wolf. And before we... Well,
0: bless your heart,
1: will We will talk more about confusion (laughs) in our next podcast. However, before we sign off completely, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Any contemplative thoughts for our listeners about how to rise above our tendency for
0: confusion? uh, Most important right, is to be sincere. And some of the things that can um, lessen the tendency to be sincere is that we don't spend enough time with a particular thought. So if sincerity has to be concentrated, I would advise them, take time to concentrate on rising above us being victimized by average tendencies, tendencies that we need to be in sympathy with, for sure, but we need to exceed these tendencies. Take time, concentrate your sincerity.